The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Morning. Hey, if you're uh, new here with us, let me just uh, again welcome you to LifePoint Church. My name's Eric. Uh, I'm one of the teaching pastors here, and uh, if you haven't noticed or if you've been here in the past, uh, this, whole, this whole stage thing, it's kind of new to us, so I just want to uh, say a quick shout out to all of you guys that began to help and work, and Chris Morgan put in some hours and hours and hours to make this happen, and so uh, we've already made uh, about 40 more seats in this auditorium from last week, and if you look around... It's already full, right? Okay. And so uh, we're going to still uh, do phase two and phase three in the next couple of weeks to get some more seats in here and some more changes in here. So hopefully God can continue to fill this place and be exalted among us. And so uh, that is awesome. Yeah, give him a round of applause. Thank you for all your help, all your labor, all your service. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, you can grab them and open up to Acts chapter 3. That's where we're going to spend uh, all of our time today in Acts chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we've got some Bibles in the back for you. So if you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand on up. Uh, Mike back there is going to hand those out to you if you need one. If you don't own a Bible, uh, I just want to encourage you to take that one with you. That's our gift to you. Uh, we know that faith comes by hearing the word. And so take that, read that, dwell upon that, and let the Lord use that. Uh, while you're turning to Acts, I want to just share a quick story with you. Uh, it was uh, August of 1996, uh, I believe it was. I don't know the exact day, but I know it was a Monday. Uh, and uh, I was starting my uh, Lindenwood education on that day. All right, so I went to Lindenwood. I don't know how, if we got any lions out there, right? Okay, we got a few. Uh, so I went to Lindenwood, and it was my first day at Lindenwood, and my advisor advised me to take an 8 o'clock class. <laughs> Dang, right? Uh, and so I didn't know any better. The next year, I, I uh, opted out of that schedule. Uh, but that year, I uh, was ambitious, and I got up, and I was uh, there a little early. Don't think I was a good student because I was there early. Uh, I was there early the first day. I think every day after that, I was at least 15 minutes late. Uh, but the first day, I was ambitious. You know, I was ready to go. I got up. I got to class. I got there a little early. And I sat somewhere, uh, not in the back back, but kind of in the near back, kind of over to the side. So I was kind of inconspicuous uh, so that the teacher wouldn't call on me. And so I got there early, and I was sitting there getting ready for class. And lo and behold, people, students started filing into uh, the classroom, and I'm looking at these students, and I'm asking the guy next to me, hey, am I in the right place? Ever, ever been there, right? You're just like, hey, I just want to make sure, did you sign up for this class? Because this is the class I'm in, right? I don't want to make sure. I didn't know where I was going, what I was doing. I asked him, am I in the right place? And he said, yeah, and so I'm sitting there. And then all of a sudden, this, this girl walked in the door, <laughs> who, by the way, is now my wife. This girl walked in the door. She had on this little uh, dress, summer dress, and had like sunflowers on it. And I just remember I, I directed my gaze directly on her. <laughs> and as she was walking into the classroom, I'm thinking, dang. <laughs> and I'm thinking, Hey, just, just look at me, just look at me, just look at me, look at me, look at me. Because I wanted her to know that I was looking at her, right? And so she walks in and she, she looks up at me, you know, probably just real casually, but she noticed that I'm like looking right at her. 
right? And she kind of gives me one of those, one of those smiles, you know, like, okay, I like college. And, uh, and so, uh, and so I'm looking right at her. She's looking right at me. And uh, my heart started beating. Like, uh, I don't know if it was my flesh or something else, but my heart started beating. And I knew I, knew I had to do something. I knew I had to really pursue this, this girl. And so I was really nervous. I know you guys think maybe I'm courageous, but I really wasn't. Uh, I was really nervous and scared. And so I did what, uh, what all you guys should do when you see a girl and you don't know how to, how to talk to her. Uh, I sat there and I waited for the teacher to take role or go down the roster. And she's like, here, here, here. And when she goes, here, I'm like, Stephanie. <laughs> right? I played that, right? And so now I got her name, all right? And so uh, this is what I did. I, I couldn't think uh, through the whole class. I, I got up after the class was dismissed, and I was just kind of going to my own class. And she just happened to be going in the direction that I'm going to my next class, right? Uh, but I wasn't, like, really close to her. I was, I was a couple feet back because I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing here. What am I going to say? What am I going to do? And so you know what I did? Nothing. <laughs> I totally chickened out, but, but she's my wife, so I win in the end, baby, right? And so later, later she comes to class, and, you know, we get to know each other, and it wasn't a couple years later uh, that we actually got together, but, but I remember that feeling very vividly. When I, when, I, when I looked at her, my heart started moving in such a way that I knew that I had to pursue her, almost in a way that, that I knew I couldn't just simply sit idle, even though I didn't know what to do, right? I didn't know what to say, but I knew I could not just simply sit idle. My heart would not let me just be in that place. Have you ever been there? Maybe it's with a person. Maybe it's with a situation. Maybe it was with something that was going on around you, and your heart started telling you something. It started beating in such a way that says, man, I've got to move here. Like, I've got to pursue this here. I've got to, I've got to do this here. And, and I don't know if you've ever been there, but, but, but there's times in our lives where our hearts begin to move us into an action. In the life of Jesus, Jesus had one, one primary mission. It, it, the Bible says that, that he was born to die. He was born to die. So he came into the world in order to die. Listen to me. That is the greatest mission the world has ever known. It's the greatest task that anyone could be involved in. He came to die. And the reason why he had to die is because in his death, he would absorb the wrath towards sin that covers all of mankind. And so his mission was to save the world, literally save the world. And so he came and he had one mission, one thought, one sacrifice. He knew that he had to die for the forgiveness of sins. But in the middle of his overall mission that he was consumed with, the reason why he came with, the reason why he fixed his eyes so often toward that cross, so often he was moved in a moment of interruption. He had his eyes fixed on the cross. He knew that he had the cross before him. He knew that that's why he came. But on his way to the cross, listen, he stops at a seashore. And he looks at two guys. He looks at Peter and he looks at John. And he says, you guys, put down your nets and follow me. 
He's paused the cross going to call Peter and John to himself. Jesus, on his way to the cross, he stops in the country of the Gerasians and he directs his gaze upon a man who was in constant torment in his entire life and he shows mercy on him and sets him free. In the middle of this mission, on his way to the cross, Jesus stops at a well in Samaria and begins to engage one woman who is there broken outcast because of her own choices and Jesus forgives her and makes her the first missionary to the town of Samaria. On his way to the cross, the greatest mission that the world has ever known, on the way to the cross, Jesus stops in Cana and directs his eyes on an official who is grieved because his son was about to die. And Jesus stops all that and he speaks life into that child. On the way to the cross and the greatest mission that the world has ever known, Jesus directs his eyes on a tax collector in a town called Jericho, calls him to himself and brings salvation to his house. On his way to the cross, the greatest mission that the world has ever known, Jesus stops at a pool of Bethsaida and directs his gaze upon a man who's been an invalid for 38 years, and he says, get up and walk. And not only does he heal him, but he cleanses his sin. On his way to the cross, Jesus fixes his eyes upon a woman who was about to be condemned for adultery. And he says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. On his way to the cross, Jesus stops at Bethany and he fixes his gaze upon those who are mourning because they just lost their brother. He enters into the situation and he, he, he grieves with them, he comforts them, he mourns with them, and he, and he helps them through this time, and then he raises Lazarus from the dead. On his way to the greatest mission, on the way to the cross, listen, in the middle of his beatings, Jesus directs his gaze upon Peter, who had just denied him three times, and restores him back. On his way to the cross, the greatest mission, Jesus directs his gaze on Pilate, who is a man is overwhelmed, has power and authority, and he's overwhelmed with a life-altering decision that he has to make. And Jesus fixes his gaze upon him and then tells him the truth about who he is. Listen, even on the cross, as Jesus is hanging there, fulfilling the mission, the reason why he came to die, he fixes his gaze on the thief to his left who is asking for forgiveness. And he says, today, you, my friend, will be with me in paradise. So the biggest call, the biggest mission, the biggest purpose that anyone has ever known over and over and over and over again, Jesus interrupts that mission to pursue individual people and fixes his gaze upon him. And his heart was moved to, to do something. You know, it seems, it seems that after three years of ministry, Jesus didn't leave a big building at all. But rather but rather individuals who have been changed. You see, Jesus didn't gather a big building, big crowds and things like that. But rather, when he died and when he rose, there were individuals who had been changed 
on his way to saving the world. Jesus fixes his gaze upon the hurting. Jesus fixes his gaze upon the helpless. Jesus fixes his gaze upon the broken. Jesus fixes his gaze upon the outcasts and the guilty and those who are sick and those who need help and those who are crying out for in great need for God. He fixes his gaze upon those who are hurting and he moves toward them with grace and salvation. And this is the kicker, is he tells his followers to do the same. To do the same. Now for us, that means that the greatest monument that we can build, the greatest movement that we can be a part of is actually seeing changed lives in individuals, men and women, as God moves in our heart to step out in compassion toward them. Throughout the world, throughout our community, throughout our neighborhoods, God says, is your heart moved with compassion for an individual? Because God was. In the book of Acts, Jesus has raised from the dead. He was crucified. He was buried. And on the third day, he's rose from the dead. In the book of Acts chapter 1, it says that over 40 days, he presented himself. He presented himself to his disciples. He presented himself alive. He wanted to show people, look, I'm alive. At one point he said, look at my hands. Put your, put your hand in, the, in my side. See, I'm, I am alive. And the book of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, it says that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. 500 people. Over 40 days, Jesus appeared and appeared and appeared and showed that he was alive. And every day, more people were seeing him. Now, in, in Acts chapter 2, it says that uh, as he ascended into heaven, he empowered the believers with the Holy Spirit in order to proclaim the gospel. And you know what happened? 3,000 people came to Christ in that day. 3,000 people came, repent, were baptized, and were added to the church. And then it says that every single day, every single day, more people were getting saved. More people were coming to faith. More people were coming to Christ. More people were coming to Christ. More people were coming to Christ. Every day, it says. So the disciples, hear me, had a great mission before them. The disciples had a task before them. Disciples had a lot of work that needed to be done. I mean, at the very least, they had to figure out what to do with all these converts. At the very least, I mean, there's 3,000 people, probably closer to 10,000 if you count the women and the children. 10,000 people. That's a task, right? What are we going to do? How are we going to minister to all these people? So they're faced with a giant mission. There's crowds. There's excitement. There's activity. But look at what happens in Acts chapter 3. I mean, if there's ever been a movement in the church, this is, this is a big one. 3,000 people coming to Christ, people getting saved every day. Look in Acts 3, starting in verse 1. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer the ninth hour. I, I could just imagine as they're walking up to the temple, uh, maybe they're leading the prayer meeting, maybe they're not, but they're thinking about there's going to be a gathering there, there's going to be a lot of people there, there's going to be a commotion there, there's excitement there, and so they're on their way, they're heading up, they're going to go pray, it was the ninth hour, and a man, a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that was called Beautiful Gate, uh, sorry, I lost my place. Uh, the beautiful gate to ask for alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, 
he asked to receive alms. Alms is just saying, hey, I'm in need. Do you have anything for me? You've got some change. You've got, you got some money. You've got something for me. Can you give me some bread? Can you give me some food? Can you give me some money? I need some alms. Alms for the poor, right? He's there and he's begging and he's asking. He says, he says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Verse 4. And Peter, what did he do? He directed his gaze at him. I love that line. He looked right at him. He looked right at him, as did John. And so Peter and John, on their way to trying to figure out how to minister to the thousands of people, going to the temple to pray, they're on mission. They've got a task before them. In that moment, they fixed their eyes on this lame man. They looked at him. They gazed upon him. And they said, look at us. And he, the lame man, he fixed his attention on them expecting to receive something from them. But listen what happens. But Peter said, I ain't got no silver. Look at me. Look at me. I don't have any silver. I don't have any gold. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. And now some of you guys are singing a song in your head right now. Maybe not. There's a song that goes with that verse, by the way. Sunday school song. Silver and gold have I not. Okay, I don't know how it goes. <laughs> he says, silver and gold have I not, but I do. I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And listen, he took him by the hand. Not only, not only did he fix his gaze upon him, not only did he feel moved to give something, he says, I don't have any silver, I don't have any gold, but what I do is I have the name of Jesus that heals you, and so he says, rise up and walk, and not only did he say it, he took his hand, and he said, get up. He took him by the hand, and he got up, took him by the right hand, and raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them. So not only did he just stay there, he's like, I'll go with you. I'm coming with you. He goes with them in the temple, walking and leaping and praising God in the middle of this giant faith movement. Thousands of people coming to Christ. The focus in chapter 3 is on one man. One man. One individual. One who was hurting. One who was lame. One who was crying out, I need help. In all this church movement, and all this church growth, and all the things that God is doing in this place. Listen, God is concerned with one man. And for the first time, I just want you to get this picture. His legs are strong. His ankles are strong. His knees are strong. And he gets up and he starts leaping around. I, I, I don't know if you're around uh, young boys or, or teenagers or, or not, but you know what I've noticed? I coach a basketball team, and I don't think it's just basketball, but it's really all boys. Uh, at a certain age, you run and you try and touch the highest thing you can touch. <laughs> Remember the day, guys, when you could touch the door jam for the first time? Bam, I got it, I hit it, I hit it. You want me to do it again? I could just see this guy running through the stores, like trying to touch the banners. I'm like, I got it. 
right? You're trying to touch the net. You're trying to touch the banner. You're trying to touch the door jam. Whatever you can, you're just trying to jump as high as you can. I can just imagine this guy running through the streets looking like crazy, trying to touch the highest thing he could touch. And what's he doing? I mean, he's praising God. Now hear me, because this is the repeated pattern in the book of Acts. You see, it's easy to forget that in the middle of all the activity and all the growth and all that the church is doing and in all of our busyness, we, we tend to forget that God is concerned with us as individuals. One guy, God was moved for one guy. It's easy to forget that in the middle of our busy schedules, in the middle of our busy weeks, in the middle of our careers and families and extracurricular activities, that God is concerned with individuals all around us. Some of you, you're here and you're in need. You're broken. You're emotionally distressed. Maybe you're physically hurting. Maybe you feel like an outcast. Maybe, maybe you just feel drained. God cares about you. God cares about you as an individual. God fixes his gaze upon you, and he sees you. Some of you are sitting here today and you're just, you're, just, you're just hurting. I want to remind you that God meets you right where you're at. At the gate. In our, in our lameness. God is there. God himself fixes his gaze upon us. God is doing amazing things in our church. People are coming. People are coming to faith. Things are happening all around us. The Holy Spirit is being poured out. But I want you to see that in the midst of a mass spiritual awakening, God is concerned with us as individuals. God is concerned with individuals in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools. So many times God sends his messengers outside of all the big activity in order to minister to one individual. I mean, read the Bible. So many times, there's, there's this movement happening. There's all these people gathering, and Jesus goes off alone and finds one man, one person, ministers to one individual. As the church, we are messengers. We are the messengers of Christ. And I want to encourage you that so many times, God will send you out to minister to an individual, maybe not in here, but I know he's sending you out there. You see, it's easy to forget that in the midst of all of our activities and busyness that God is concerned with you and that God is concerned with individuals around us, the hurting, the broken, the outcast, the one who feels condemned, the one who feels depressed, and sometimes we just need to have a conversation at a well. God sends his messengers away from the crowd right to people in great need. I was super convicted of this this week. And I needed to be reminded in my hustle that I call life, I never want to take my eyes off individuals because some are silently crying out. And some are crying out, but not silently, very loudly. I 
need help. I was convicted that, that maybe we need to pay more attention to those in need, those who are hurting. You see, Jesus himself, he came into the world and he died for sin. That was his work. Jesus came in the world and he had his eyes fixed upon the cross. That was his job. He came with one mission. It's the greatest mission that the world has ever known. It's the greatest job that anyone could ever be given. It's the greatest task that anyone could be set forth. And in his mission, in the greatest mission and task that the world has ever known, so many times he stops and he ministers to individuals. Hear me. And you're an accountant. You're a teacher. You're a doctor. You're a student. You're a worker. You're a pastor. You're, you're a person out there. Let us not get so fixed on some big task that we forget that there's someone right next to us at the gate that is crying out almost for the poor. Anyone, please, will anyone hear me? And listen, you know what they did? They didn't give them money. Don't think this is about giving money. They said, I don't have any of that, but what I have is Jesus. What I have is the Savior of the world. Jesus, in the middle of the most important job that the world has ever known, has found individuals so important that he would fix his gaze upon those in great need. Isn't it amazing how God, it says the Bible, that he holds all things together. I mean, everything. So the wind blows because he says blow, right? The waves move because he says move. The birds fly because he says fly. I mean, the grass grows because he says grow. He holds all things together. And in holding all things together, the same God who is over all of the universe fixes his gaze upon you. Isn't that amazing? Then he fixes his gaze upon me. Then he says, listen, I'm here. Are you weary? Are you crying out? Are you needy? I love you. I'm here for you. He will pause all of it to minister to you. He fixes his gaze upon us. May we never forget in our great busyness that God is concerned with hurting individuals. Our mission is not to build a big church. Gathering people is maybe a byproduct of what we do. But our mission is to reach individuals. Our mission is to reach individuals with the message of Jesus Christ. God focuses on hurting, and maybe that's you. Or maybe it's someone sitting next to you. Or maybe it's someone who sits next to you at work. Or maybe it's someone who sits next to you in class. Or maybe it's someone sitting next to you in the coffee shop. God wants to get to hurting individuals and show himself powerful. That's how the gospel moves forward. Peter and John, they reach this man on the streets as an individual. Listen, not as church pastors. He didn't just say, hey, there's a gathering coming up. You should come. I mean, that's a byproduct of what happened, isn't it? But that's not what he said. He said, there's power in the name of Jesus. Power to heal you, but not only heal you, but save your soul. There's power in Jesus. And so here's a couple of dudes, broken, walking around the streets downtown, on their way to some event. 
And God allows them to fix their gaze upon one man. The needy in our community will not be impacted by the church, but by you. Those broken, those crying out, they're not going to be impacted by us as a mass. They're going to be impacted by you. You telling them about Jesus. You telling them about freedom in Jesus. You telling them the gospel. You see, it's easy to start thinking, well, God's doing a lot at the church, and you know, uh, I love being a part of it all. Every week I get to come in and sit and worship and sing and, and be fed a bit. You know, hear Eric yell at me for about 30, 40 minutes. It's really awesome. The church building is not where God does most of his ministry. But it's through you, on the streets, every week. I want to I tell you, every week, it's through you, in your neighborhoods, in your workplaces, in your schools. It is absolutely through you. The vast majority of the miracles in the book of Acts happens outside the gathering. The majority of them. That means people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, who are believers, go and share the name of Jesus. And you see people healed. You see people set free. You see people coming to Christ every single day. You encountering the grace of Christ as an individual and you out there, it facilitates change. I just don't want to see um, a bunch of Christians from other churches come and gather and worship with us. Well, that, that's cool, but, but here's the deal. I don't want to just see people coming in and make quick decisions for Jesus. But we want to see people brought from darkness into light. That's what we want. We want to see people brought in with chains to be set free. We want to see people come to hear and know the grace and the, and the love that is found in Jesus Christ so that they can have transformed lives forever. That's what we want to see. Jesus is fixing his gaze upon your heart today and his grace and his love reaches through your lameness and reaches you right where you're at and then he uses you to be light into other people's lameness. So we must go and, and put on Christ. And so listen, if you're here and you don't know this freedom that's found in Christ, I'm going to encourage you, just come to him. Just pray to him. Just ask him. Cry out like a lame man sitting at the gate saying, I need, I need alms. I need help. If that's you, listen, Jesus is fixing his gaze upon you. And listen, if you're here and you have done that, you have been healed, you have been forgiven, and you're one in the room that's running and trying to jump the sign praising God, that someone who has genuinely been set free about Jesus, let me ask you a question. Who can you point to in your life that you're ministering to personally? I mean, who, who's the individual? You have a name? Who are you pouring into? Who are you being light to? Is our church growing because of you? Or is our church growing just simply around you? Is God moving because of you? Ministering to men at the gate? Or is it just growing around you? Yeah, I know. That stings a bit, doesn't it? You want to know what God really convicted me of this week? I realized that our church was successful 
because our leadership team and our body, we pray, we plan, and we think strategically, and we work like crazy to make, things, make sure things work around here. And result, LifePoint Church is successful. But you know what I realized? That the reason I'm not more successful in reaching my neighbors is because I don't pray, and I don't plan, and I don't think strategically, and I don't, I don't work hard reaching them. I don't work hard reaching them as much as I do running the church. So I had to spend some time really just repenting of that this week. If I can be honest. What are you doing to reach your neighborhood? What are you doing to reach your dorm? What are you doing to reach the people that you come in contact with every single week? If the answer is nothing, let us repent together toward God. Let us think strategically. Let us plan. Let us pray. Let, let's ask God to allow our hearts to gaze upon the hurting in such a way that it moves us to action. Just like a, a girl walks into the classroom, may my heart be moved to action toward the hurting in our community, to those who are crying out. May my heart start beating fast and say, listen, I don't know what to do. You'll be faced with that. You see somebody, I, I, I don't know what to do, but I've got to do something. Silver and gold, I don't have. But I know Jesus is the Savior. And he wants to fix his gaze upon you. That's the answer. And doesn't stop there. Look in verse 8. Leaping up, the man, he stood, and he began to walk. And he entered into the temple with them. And he's walking, and he's leaping, and he's praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. So he's not just walking. He's praising God. Right? It's one thing to be healed and just walk around. Hey, that's cool. Hey, you're walking now. That's No, no, no. He's walking and praising God. Yeah, thank you, God. He's praising God. He's walking and he's praising God. And all the people saw him and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement. Oh, my. That's amazing. That's what they said. That's amazing. They're filled with wonder at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John. Because I'm sure, listen, I'm sure there's crowds gathered around. What is going on with this guy? Let me see your legs, right? They're pulling up his tunic. He's like, get out of there, right? But he's, he's, he's walking and he's praising God. And he's kind of clinging to Peter and John. He's like, hey, hey, do something. These people, they're coming in here. All the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them. I mean, he's getting bum-rushed right here. In the porch called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. So all of a sudden, there's a healing, but now Peter is going to tell them something. He doesn't say, yeah, isn't that cool? He tells them something. Listen to what he says. Men of Israel, 
Why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though, as though it's like our own power or piety have, has made him walk. Like that's me, right? He's like, why are you wondering at this? Didn't Jesus just appear to you in 40 days? Isn't that awesome and amazing? He's like, look at this. He says, it's not by us that made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus. He actually uses his name. Isn't that amazing? His name's Jesus, by the way. You could say it. It's by Jesus. And actually, it's the same Jesus that you delivered over, that you denied in the presence of Pilate and had decreased to release him. But you, you know, he said, I don't find any fault in this man, but you denied the holy and the righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you. That's the moment where they're standing there and they're like, we want Barabbas to be set free, not Jesus. Crucify that guy. Give us Barabbas. Remember that story? He's saying, is it actually... You denied the holy and righteous one. That's Jesus, the same guy. And you asked for a murder to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life. But God trumped that. Right? You make bad decisions all day long. But God trumps that. Amen? Thank you, God, for trumping my bad decisions. Right? He says, he says, you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. That's how he trumps it. I'll show you. You can't, you can't discount me. That's what I want to do. I'm going to raise him from the dead. And to this we are witnesses. And his name, the name of Jesus, by faith in his name, the name of Jesus, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith is that through Jesus has given the man perfect health in the presence of of you all. And now, brothers, verse 19, it says, repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. Peter's saying that this healing is a picture of the gospel. In the same way that this man, in his lameness, God fixed his eyes upon him, Jesus set him free. In the same way, God wants to set you free from sin and guilt and shame and condemnation. It's the same name of Jesus that made this man walk. It's the same name of Jesus that forgives our sins and sets us free with him. It's the same name. And so all the people are gathering, they're looking, they're wondering, what's going on here? Well, let me tell you what's going on here. His name is Jesus. That's what's happening. And so when you're out there in the world, in the community, in brokenness all around you, all we have to do is proclaim one name. Jesus. Jesus heals. Jesus restores. Jesus forgives. Jesus washes away sin. Jesus takes condemnation and removes it. Jesus takes all of your bad choices and makes you a missionary. Jesus sees you up in that tree that you've cheated and stolen from people and you're an outcast. And he says, no, no, salvation is coming to your house. Jesus is the answer. We must see here that it was the ministry of Christians on the streets that amazed the community, both word and deed. So listen, it's not just some cool magic trick. And listen, it's not, it's not just some random act of t- kindness either, because word follows. 
I mean, do your random acts of kindness. Do your, do your kind deeds. Do your work out there. But don't forget about the word. Don't forget about the name. Like, like you think it's my power that I'm giving to you kindly? You think it's my piety that's giving to you kindly? Peter says, listen, this is not about me. It's about Jesus. And so when we go and we work and we pray and we ask, we speak about Jesus and our works authenticate it. There must be some connection between word and deed. Just like the gospel has power to make the man walk, the gospel has the power to save your soul. When the community sees the power of gospel in action, they're more ripe and tuned to believe the good news of Jesus. So, we're to persuade with our message and help with our hospitality and our caring and our giving and going to the broken and going to the hurting as individuals. See them as individuals. You want to hear something interesting? You don't get to vote. I have a mic. <laughs> There's not a single instance of a believer being healed of sickness in the book of Acts. Not one time is a believer healed of sickness. Not once. You see believers getting raised from the dead, but, but every healing in the book of Acts are all unbelievers. So what does that mean? Does that mean Christians shouldn't pray for healing? Obviously not. In James chapter 5, it says pray for healing. So we pray for healing. But what if it means that quite often God glorifies himself through the lives of Christians by giving them a chance to show that their joy is greater than the thing that's causing them pain? Could it be that God glorifies himself in the lives of Christians through sickness and in pain to show the world that their joy goes beyond sickness and pain. To show that they have a joy that's greater than that. God is glorified when sick Christians get well. Amen? But God is also glorified when sick Christians have joy in the middle of their sickness. God is magnified when they see you in your struggle with brokenness and sickness to say, listen, my joy is not in my body. My joy is in Jesus. So, so my body can be destroyed by cancer. My body can be destroyed by other things. But God has given me a hope and joy in him that cancer can't touch. That's a light to the world. That's a city on a hill that can't be hidden. That's a joy that permeates external things. Jesus is a possession that's better to me than anything else. Anything life can give, anything death can take away, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Do you realize that when you're in pain, when things are going the wrong way, when things aren't going well, when it seems like everything's falling apart, it is in that moment that you have the greatest chance to put the joy of Jesus on display to the world. That, that moment. You have the greatest chance to display your joy. Listen, and I'm not talking about a false sense of joy. Oh, have you ever experienced that? Like, I'm in pain, I'm hurting, but praise God. But you're really not. Isn't it genuine that that would be what God uses to glorify himself in the world? 
Our vision is to see you as individuals of LifePoint Church, knowing that God fixes his gaze upon you, but also knowing that God wants to use you to fix your gaze upon the hurting and the broken. I want to show you a couple of pictures in just a moment. And I want you to see if you can figure out which picture our church is more about. I want you to, I want you to begin to try to figure out which one best describes LifePoint Church? Which one best describes the future of this church and this body? All right? Show that, show that first one up there. That is almost as pretty as this backdrop. Let's get a closer look at that. Show the, show the next one. Oh. That's Nice. And nice. Okay, show the next one. That doesn't seem so luxurious, does it? In the first one, people are tan and they're pretty and they're entertained. And they're expecting others to come and serve them. The other's not so luxurious, but it gets a job done. And when it moves, it leaves a tremendous impact. I'm going to explain to you the obvious here. But the main work of the aircraft carrier does not happen on the ship. The main work of the aircraft carrier doesn't happen in the ship, but out there. It happens out there. So, so hear me. You can park your plane here. You could park your plane here, and we'll spend money and resources and time and prayers and energy to equip you in order to take off into the community. But if what you want is a luxury ride where you come in and you're entertained and you're expecting people to serve you, let me be as lovingly honest as I can with you. You're going to be miserable here. Because all you're going to do is you're going to come in and hear some awesome music and hear me yell at you. (laughs) Right? I mean, you're going to be miserable. But maybe, maybe we want to spend ourselves in such a way that the gospel is advanced. So we come in, we get equipped, we begin reloading, right? We're reloading, we're getting ready, and we take off out there and we make a giant impact because we see individuals, we fix our gaze upon them, and we're moved with compassion toward them, and we say, I want to make an impact in your life in the name of Jesus. That's what advances the gospel. That's how lives are changed. So yeah, we say, come to Jesus. Let them heal you. Let them restore you. Let them build you up. Let them equip you. Let them forgive you. Let them set you free because Jesus absolutely cares about you. But here's the bottom line is that God fixes his eyes upon you so that you would walk and leap and praise God so that the masses would say, what is that? What is that? God uses us to get to them, 
to empower people to get to them. The message of Jesus Christ really is the hope of the world. That he died and shed his blood so that the wrath that is on me because of my sin would be removed from me so that I could have an eternity with God, knowing him, loving him, and enjoying him forever. That's what Jesus did. And the local church is the hands, the feet, and the voice of that good news to the hurting, to the broken, to the outcast. And maybe it's someone right next to you. And maybe it's someone who will be right next to you tomorrow. So as the band comes up, I want to close with a challenge. Last week, if you were here or if you listened online, the challenge was this. The challenge was to fast and pray between now and Easter for friends and families and neighbors to, to come and hear the good news that we would fast and pray that hearts and eyes and, and ears would be open to hear the good news And so last week the challenge was between now and Easter that we would fast and pray for our lost loved ones and our lost friends that somehow between now and then they would hear the good news of Jesus. This week I'm going to add to that challenge. That between now and Easter that you would begin to fast and pray for one individual, one person that God is stirring your heart for. That that you would fast and pray and you would ask God to help you see with those eyes. That as you're going about your day, as you're fulfilling your life mission, whatever that may be. That as you're in the middle of your busyness and your extra activities and all your, you're getting your kids from here to here and going here and going there and coming home and in your commute and all that stuff. In the middle of all that, that you would ask God to put someone in your place that would fix your eyes upon them. Fast and pray for that opportunity. Fast and pray that we would be quick to see that. That we would be quick to react to that. Let us, let us begin to fast and pray. To use each one of us to reach out and to share the love of Jesus toward one individual. The gospel, it's the hope of the world. And I truly believe that he's given it to us to share. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there's some who are sitting in these rows today that are crying out from their souls, I need, I'm lame, I am broken, and I need help. Jesus, will you fix your gaze upon them? Holy Spirit, will you speak to their hearts today? Would you lead them into your presence? Would you heal their brokenness? Would you hear the cry? 
And Lord Jesus, I'm asking you that possibly you use us to speak into them. Lord Jesus, meet them right where they are. Let them come to you. All of them. All of my, all of me who is weary and burdened and heavy laden. God, I'm asking you in the name of Jesus to heal. I'm asking you in the name of Jesus to give us rest. Rest in you. Jesus, as you restore our souls, as you restore my soul, let me walk out leaping and praising God so that the world would see and I could proclaim that your love is sufficient, your grace is sufficient, your work on the cross is sufficient so that I am no longer a slave to sin and fear and death, but I've been set free by your blood. Jesus, help us move toward the hurting. Help us move toward the individuals. For your great name's sake, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. LifePoint Church exists to engage, encourage, and equip through the gospel for the glory of God. Therefore, it is our prayer that the word of God would be an encouragement to your heart and lead you into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. If you would like to support the ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at thelifepointconnection.com slash give. May God bless and may your life point to Christ everywhere in every way.